Welcome to the Building Bridges Podcast, where believers of all persuasions, Catholics, Protestants, Pentecostals, Latter-day Saints, all are made to feel at home. We welcome you. Yes, we believe if Jesus is the Lord of your heart and life, and he's the Lord of my heart and life, we're family. You're my brother, my sister, and I welcome you. Hi, my name is Lynn Reidenauer, founder of the Building Bridges podcast. And as I've said in previous podcasts, we'll be discussing a wide range of topics as we spend our time together. Topics such as, what is the church? Who is a Christian? Does God still speak today? Does the Bible teach conformity of doctrine or unity of the Spirit? Today, our subject is Rediscovering the Gifts, a follow-up of one of our previous podcasts theme, Joseph Smith and Charismatic Gifts. More and more Restoration Saints in our day are rediscovering the freedom, the joy of true worship, discovering for the first time the excitement of his resurrection power brought about by his gracious gifts. And we're going to hear from two of my dear friends, both Restoration believers, both Book of Mormon believers. Yes, It's the presence of the resurrected Christ in our midst. Doctrinal differences, present-day controversies, they're fading away as we bathe our souls in his presence. Saints are becoming once again more enthralled with his closeness than with correct administrations, more enthused about his power and presence than our programs. Yes, Some of us are experiencing a revisitation of the Kirtland days. The idea or inspiration for today's podcast comes from a correspondence that occurred between a former LDS bishop and me some years back. The bishop had a keen interest in learning about spiritual gifts, and I share that correspondence. Some of the information has been deleted for privacy purposes. I quote the bishop, Dr. Reidenauer. I am a Latter-day Saint and former LDS bishop. I am currently serving as our interfaith relations director for, and I left his whereabouts blank, with a special assignment to work with evangelicals and conservative Christians. In my interactions, Dr. Reidenauer, with other Christians, I find myself personally drawn toward the worship styles and approaches of charismatics. I right now feel closest to Vineyard Christian Fellowship in, and again, I left the city blank, where their worship music and senior pastor Lawrence so-and-so are world-class but I am most interested in watching them after the message when they give blessings for healings and many other purposes in their public meetings. Very powerful. I have acquired from their bookstore two books by Francis McNutt, who started the Catholic Charismatic Renewal years ago. The books titled Healing and The Nearly Perfect Crime. He describes the loss of the use of spiritual gifts in Christian circles until it came back into use, starting at Azusa Street in 1906 and has grown from there. This evening, I will be attending a workshop 
on the Healing Book with Dr. J.P. Moreland of the Biola University faculty who attends Vineyard and who is devoting the rest of his life to building up the spiritual gifts approach to worship. And at the same time this was going on, I was reading Richard Bushman's book, Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling, for a different purpose completely. And it dawned on me that the experiences in Kirtland in 1836 and much of the earliest activity of the church was the restoration of the spiritual gifts. I remember a passage where he says, in the words of the Missourians, why they wanted the Mormons out, because they believed in the restoration of spiritual gifts and were performing healings and the casting out of devils. Well, I began making notes about the experiences at that time, and lo and behold, found an internet search that you have already done it for me in your article on those crazy charismatic Book of Mormon lovers. Astounding. These words really touched me. I quote you, Dr. Wright, now. I tell my Pentecostal charismatic friends, the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day did not begin in 1906 out west in California on Azuzu Street. It began in the Midwest in a little town called Kirtland, Ohio, 70 years earlier. The year was 1836. Most of my friends have never heard the marvelous story of that great outpouring that accompanied the early saints. It was a Pentecost indeed, and a time of rejoicing. I would say a time unparalleled perhaps in our day. So few of today's Christians know about it. End of quote. Brother Ridenauer, I have felt as a Latter-day Saint the Utah variety of the Restoration Movement, that our worship services and worship music, reverence, 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 our approach to the ordinances as times to meditate rather than times to rejoice, our operation of temple ordinances with the same approaches and our use of the healing power in our hidden, unnoticed way might be in the Lord's will to be reworked. Perhaps, Brother Ridenauer, the Lord and the LDS Church might be ready for people to begin doing what Francis McNutt has done in the Catholic churches, gradual acceptance of charismatic healings and spiritual gifts. Do you have any thoughts about how this might be approached? Love and thanks, and I leave his name blank, LDS Interfaith Relations. End of message. And I responded to the dear brother and shared some of my thoughts. I thought for the remainder of today's podcast, we'd hear from two of my friends, as said, both staunch believers in the Restoration, both Book of Mormon believers. Meet my dear friend, 30 plus years, Gina. I call her Gina B. Gina B. Share with our audience some of your marvelous experiences with the Lord. And one day God sovereignly showed up in my living room and he said, well, without going into details, he said, you know what to do. I was just doing my laundry, you know. Would you say that's when you really became serious? Or that day I came to the Lord. And 
my ears opened up. I heard angel. I heard music. And I became very passionate for Jesus. Oh, my gosh. We were on a honeymoon. It was first love. I mean, my feet weren't touching the ground. It was every day, Jesus, Jesus. He was talking to me, you know? And we were walking and having, I was having just wonderful uh, epiphany experiences and the ecstasy of knowing him and being, your life changed. Because I had been a motorcycle person. I was on the road all the time, hippie lifestyle, you know. You were a biker. I was a biker. And women didn't do that in the 70s. But see, it was a radical change for me. And the boyfriend got all kind of miffed about it. And he said, well, you know, I walk with Jesus. I said, well, I'm hearing him every day. I'm walking with him. We're having experiences, you know. And I'm going to go back to the church of my childhood, which I was born RLDS. Went back there and thought about Jesus. And not to cast dispersions, because I found this to be true wherever I went. It didn't matter what church. But that was back then in the 70s, Jesus movement, and we were passionate. And I couldn't find anybody like me. I went to work the next day, downtown Kansas City, older section of town, midtown section, on Main Street. Older buildings down there built, you know, they had to have the high ceilings because of the heat, so hot. It's probably built around 1900, this particular building, 1910s, 37th and Main Street. And I worked up on the upper level on the second story up there, and I worked in a small cubicle. I printed film. I was a printer, and I would print up these big old rings of paper. So I'm in there in semi-darkness, like you're supposed to be when you're doing that kind of work. And all day long, I started praying. I'm by myself. I can do that. So, And there would be many days I pray through lunch, you know. But this day was different. This day when I was praying, it was not my syntax, my normal way of speaking. It was almost formal. It was praise and adoration. It was like a river. It was a river coming out of me, Lynn. It was just like bubbly. And it went on for hours like this. Hours. Does it always stay in that formal? You know, it's different. The warfare prayer, it sounds different than adoration does. Whatever language it is. And also kind of like if I'm with First Peoples Nations, it will go kind of into a different syntax than what I've heard before. I think it's because of the land that I'm on, like in Oklahoma, or the geographical area I'm in. It will change. Do you sing? In, in English? A, no, in another language? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. All the time. So eventually I run out of that big ream of paper, right? And so I have to go to the back of the of the building to get it out of the storage there. As I came around the corner carrying this big old ream of paper, I couldn't feel my feet. I'm walking along. I've got this 50-pound thing. I'm extra heavy, you know. Can't feel my feet walking. And I look around me. I, I could see my fellow workers down low. Because it's, remember, the ceiling is maybe 15 feet higher. I can see the top of the time clock. It has dust on top of it. I can see that the threshold, I'm looking at the threshold that was usually, you know, 12 feet up. And I'm eyeballing it. I was at least 5, 10 feet. I didn't know the Lord did stuff like that. Well, what happened (laughs) when you're suspended? Well, I was feeling for the floor with my feet. 
you know, mm -hmm. like Wiley e. Coyote jumping off a cliff, you know, <laughs> in suspension. That's how I felt. How did you get down? Or Well, as soon as I said, Lord, get me down, because those people over there are going to see this. And he put you down. Instantly. Thank you, dear sister. What a marvelous testimony. And now, another dear friend of mine, Ron Rubato. Ron is a 70 in the RLDS Church. I call members of the RLDS Church the first cousins of the LDS, the Mormons. Here's Ron. My father was in highway and dam construction, so we moved all over the country and never in one place too long. And when we were in Greenup, Kentucky, I wanted to be baptized. I was eight. They made me wait till I was nine. One of the interesting things is we went to a church in Portsmouth, Ohio, and I had had a dream. Uh, and when I came to that congregation as eight years old, I kept telling my folks that I had seen three men in that congregation. And they said, you have not. <laughs> You've never been here before. Well, when I was baptized a year later, the night before I was asking God, I said, I, I really want to dedicate myself to you, to Christ, and I want to know if I'm doing the right thing. At which point, a personage that I presumed was Jesus Christ stood by my bed and ministered to me. The next day, I was baptized. What's it was the, the RLDS church. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Now. And so that was my first experience. I didn't even know you could see Christ. <laughs> you know? So when I was baptized, it was in Portsmouth, Ohio. Anyhow, the congregation that I was a part of, when the next week when they did the uh, confirmation, the three guys that put their hands on my head were the three men I'd seen in the vision. When we first started Contemporary Christian Ministries, we were in Kirtland, Ohio, for uh, a gathering of CCM. And uh, there was young gal, Naomi, Friday night. She was about my daughter's age, Lindsay. She was in about sixth grade, okay? And as we came out of the Kirtland Temple, the kids were fooling around. Yeah, and she started to run across the road. A car hit her and threw her about 70 feet through the air. She got wrapped around a light post, and Shirley Soper, her mother, who was an RN and had already lost two kids, approached her, and she realized that she was dead. Now we want to move back to being the biker, because Barney Barrage, who lives here, was an ex-Hells Angel. And uh, he and Pop Hankins, Wade's father, walked over to Naomi, and Shirley said, I I've seen death. She was dead. And Barney and Pop started to reach out and touch her, and Barney said, I just said, God, if it be thy will, he said, because I asked him what happened, because I didn't get to touch her. There was this, like, spark. And she started dragging ragged breath. When the police officer got here, he said, don't worry, I'm a believer, I'm praying for too. The MTs got there and said the same thing we're believers were praying for. The doctor was a believer as well. That was March 31st. I don't remember the year exactly. So June 31st, the very first reunion week for CCM, I saw Naomi, or saw Shirley, and I said, Shirley, how's Naomi doing? She goes, this is three months later, to the day. She goes, there she is, she's running with Lindsay. She had broken legs, everything. She said she healed so fast, they didn't even have a chance to put cast on her. <laughs> so we had that witness as well. And that year at the CCM reunion, it was like we had a line that went from here past the fence of people that they wanted us to pray for. And we kept laying hands on them, and they were just getting healed like that. Boom, 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 boom. This is another one of those things. We were having a big retreat at uh, Woodland Hills. 
and it was a CCM retreat, and we'd had healings. One kid had his uh, hearing totally restored, things like that. You know, people were getting healed of cancers and all that other stuff. It really is commonplace in God's kingdom. <laughs> you know, it just is. And Keith Martin was part of that, and I'm standing at the back of the group on Sunday morning, and Larry Tyree was there. But Larry was an apostle then, you know. And so Keith Martin walks up to me behind me, and I'm watching Linda's up helping preside over the worship service. And, and he says, uh, God just told me that the gift of tongues is going to be expressed, and you're going to give the interpretation. And I'm thinking, hey, he's just jerking my chain. <laughs> I, I have no confirmation on that at all. <laughs> and I thought, well, and I thought, well, I'm safe. So I said, well, if that's really true, I'm not presiding and you're not presiding. They're presiding and Linda. So you go talk to them. Oh. So while the praise music's going on, he goes up and tells Linda. So he comes back. He says, as soon as the music's over, we go up. <laughs> So the music suddenly stops, we go up, and as I'm walking by the rostrum, my buddy Wayne, who will be up here next week or the week after or something, oh. he, uh, he and I were both ordained 70s at the same time. Oh, okay. He leans over to Linda in a voice that I could clearly hear, he says, pray for Ron, because he hadn't got a clue. <laughs> but my decision was, I'd rather look a fool than deny these people the ministry of Jesus Christ. But when they're finished, and I'm standing there and at the microphone, and trust me, it wasn't like when you pr received prophetic insights, nothing like that, nothing was happening. Finally, the Spirit says to me, Rubottom, just like Peter had to step out of the boat, you have to open your mouth and start. I didn't even know the first word. But when I was finished, a world church leader was sitting in the congregation who didn't believe in that, and he stood up and he said, that was tongues, and the interpretation is correct. And I couldn't tell you a bit about what I said as an interpretation, because it wasn't my cognitive process. I was just yeah. the mouthpiece. You were in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't tell you now what I said. Brothers and sisters, to conclude, over these past 30-plus years, while traveling across this marvelous country of ours, known as Joseph's Land, the Promised Land, I have met hundreds and hundreds of Book of Mormon believers just like Ron and Jida, Latter-day Saints who walk in the supernatural, who experience miracles and healings, who speak in tongues and prophesy. Yes, the saints are rediscovering their spiritual heritage. Until next time, God bless you.